Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuning into another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. I am your host, Tim McCarthy. Today we have on a Gen Z patient advocate mental health advocate, speaker, influencer, a model who is also a finalist for the Sports Illustrated Swim Search and host of the Everything You Need Is Within podcast, the beautiful and lovely Gigi Robinson. How are you? Hi, happy Friday uh, to those listening. We're recording on a Friday, but I hope you're listening on every day of the week. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I'm doing great. It's, It's a great day. It's finally like blue skies instead of gray here in New York, which I really need just to get my energy up. I don't really do well with the, with the dark skies. Do you deal with winter depression too? Um, I'm not like clinically, but it definitely affects my mood. <laughs> yeah. It, it, blue skies are always better right now in Boston. It's raining. So that's how I'm dealing with it right now. Yeah. It's like sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's jump right into it. What does mental health mean to you then? Yeah, I think mental health is, there's a couple of different factors to it. You know, there's mental health uh, uh, conditions and uh, disorders that people deal with. Uh, But I have kind of thought about mental health in the context of mental endurance. It's about figuring out the things that you can put yourself through and get through the hard things and come out with a positive mindset on the other side, not to say ignore when things are hard or challenging or difficult. But I just think it's really important to recognize that you can do hard things and that it's okay that they're hard. Um, But at the end of the day, you got through it and that's a win. So I really think about mental health in terms of uh, uh, a long, long ultra lifelong marathon that you have to run and train for and uh yeah that's why mental mental endurance mental fitness you also deal with another marathon uh you deal with a few diseases that you uh go through and uh three of them are ehlers danlos syndrome am i saying that one right mm-hmm. i'm doing pretty good already mast cell activation syndrome and pots p-o-t-s Let's uh, talk about those real quick, because I can only imagine that affects you mentally and obviously physically. Uh, The Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, how would you explain that to somebody? Yeah. um, Well, again, if you are listening, I would also just say, like, I'm not a doctor. So consult a doctor or clinician if you uh, need a diagnosis or want the formal answers to this. But as a patient who has lived with this lifelong, this is how I would describe it. Um, Essentially, think of a rubber band that has lost its elasticity and it's loose and it doesn't snap back. And imagine that loose rubber band is trying to snap back to hold your joints together, and it doesn't. (laughs) Um, So I have to work twice as hard to train those muscles to get, at, at, at the very least, support my bones and my joints. And so that's been a very challenging thing over the years, you know, in in middle school. Um, and the other two I deal with, but very mildly, I actually recently got a diagnosis of endometriosis, which is, uh, it's very common. One in 10 people, one in 10 women have endometriosis. And, um, you know, I'm just kind of like accepting that diagnosis. This is like fresh, like a month ago. Oh wow! And so, um, accepting that and realizing that a lot of my pain over the years could have been from that the whole time as well is a whole other ball game. But with the two of those things, I just think it's like this idea of, you know, doctors, teachers, friends, like not family, my family's been incredible, but you know, those other three aspects of my life had always questioned, well, you look so good. You look pretty, you look healthy, like nothing's wrong with you. And it's like, you, you could say the exact same thing about mental health issues that somebody can look perfectly fine and they're just not. And so, um, you know, over the years, it's been, it's been really challenging to constantly persist and, I had to just step in and like be my own champion when it came to pushing for results. I mean, I, I was seeing this past last week, I, I had like six different appointments 
throughout the week. And finally, luckily they were all follow-ups to just kind of like, be like, yeah, I got this new diagnosis. Can we chill for a little bit and just like, see how I feel in six months. And luckily I live in a city like New York city where I can get the best healthcare I can. Um, but I know that's not the case for a lot of people. And that's where I've kind of taken this adversity that I've gone through over the past decade and just used it to be a voice for people who maybe are living in a part of the country where healthcare isn't as robust and give them maybe some pointers on how they can continue to advocate for themselves and hopefully get a diagnosis or the help that they need to feel their best. How do you like curb that with the Ehlers-Danlos syndrome? Is that like therapy? Is it medication? What What is it? Uh, yeah, well, so it's also, it's a genetic disorder, so it can't really be cured. Right. However, um, to manage my pain, I do a lot of things like massage therapy, acupuncture, prescription medication, therapy, water aerobics, light movement, intentional movement, uh, yoga, uh, very mildly. And so there's a lot of things, honestly, that go into it, but there's no like thing. Like if I said to my friend who has the same condition, like, yeah, this is what I'm doing for them. It could be completely different. Right. And, you know, that's the same with mental health issues, but honestly, therapy has been, been really great, especially as I've uncovered this new diagnosis, right? It's like, wow, like I have all this resentment and this this anger pent up because I've been trying to get an answer as to what's been causing my pain since I was 11 and I'm 24 yeah. now. Like that's a, that's a half of my life. Yeah. Um, and it just frustrates the shit out of me that like nobody thought of this sooner and it is what it is. And I just have to like, be okay, but it's also okay to be angry about it. And this can be the same if you're recently diagnosed with a other health kind of condition as well. Right. Acupuncture. Is that legit? I've always wanted to try it. I mean, is it legit? There's, there's, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of years of studies in Chinese medicine and how acupuncture has healed people. And, uh, you, you know, you'll hear of miracles where, for example, if somebody's maybe infertile or, uh, you know, and then they're able to get pregnant, that's, you know, an example that I've heard many, many times before, or somebody had a lifelong injury. They've tried everything, cortisone injection, steroids, um, you know, whatever, steroids for pain, um, <laughs> not lifting. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, that their pain's gone away for me. I actually, from this surgery. So with, you know, I'm learning a lot about this new health issue, but it was causing my body to be in a very inflamed state, uh, for the past 12 years. And, that's a that's a lot 12 years of inflammation need to leave my body. And so even in the month that it's been since my surgery, my inflammation has gone down so much to the point where it's like people are like, did you get work done? And I'm like, no, like I literally, literally, this is like finally I can feel myself. And so now I've done acupuncture about four times since the surgery. And I'm starting to feel better, like moments without pain. And that was never possible before. Like I would do it and then I would be like, okay, maybe it'll just cause me to like rest there for 30 minutes without my phone. And like, that's a win also, right? To to do that. But acupuncture is really, really, I found it to be really great. I love also sauna, um, you know, going, going the sauna. I love ice baths as well. I know that's not everybody's cup of tea. No, though. I couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> too cold, too cold. Um, so Patient advocate. We started out with that with your many titles. You wear a lot of feathers in your cap, which is good. It was a mouthful at the beginning, but all great. What <laughs> is patient advocate and how can people help to be one? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the unique thing about my job and my title as a patient advocate or a patient leader is not in that I want to necessarily inspire everyone to be a patient advocate and leader. It's that I want to help people dealing with these issues deal with them in a way that like is effective it's kind of like uh one of my friends recently said something about like you can't really give somebody a test without a study guide and so um you know from that 
in that context, I have been building out a guide my entire, you know, 12 year medical history. And I'm able to now pick and choose where I can talk about it online and on panels and on podcasts so that people can listen to it and be like, oh, wow, I never thought about standing up to, you know, a doctor or or pushing for another procedure if I really need it. Or uh, another great example would be in a academic situation. I've had, uh, you know, some collegiate women come to me and be like, I have these health issues. I don't know how to tell my teacher I need a comment like, what do I do? Um, and even just being like, you have to go to the Office of Accessibility and register your disability accommodations, and then we'll draft an email to your teacher explaining it. And if they push back, you can refer them to the Office of Accessibility versus when I went through it. I went to the Office of Accessibility. I tried to give it to the teachers. The teachers didn't believe that it was real. And then they forced me to do other things in school, like the way that the other kids were doing them instead of the way that I needed to with the accommodations. And it, it, it's really frustrating that I went through that. But again, I was like, I'd rather do something where I'm able to genuinely, um, you know, impact somebody in a good, in a good way and help them through it. So that's what I do as a patient advocate. I was going to say, it must be so frustrating having an invisible disease. Like how much did that affect your mental health? Obviously physical and mental health are intertwined. Like how did you stay like, I wouldn't like, you're kind of positive about it. Like you're, you're working hard towards it. Like how was that to get over that? Honestly, I, I feel like it just is how I've always been. Like I, I was never one to harp on it. Mind you, I got this condition, this diagnosis at 11. I was a kid. I I was growing up. Um, I didn't understand what it was. I didn't understand why I really had to sit on the side of gym class and do PT instead of play with, you know, whatever soccer, basketball, baseball, softball. I didn't get it. Um, And so I think part of like the lack of understanding allowed me to like be a kid in whatever way I wanted to at the time. And also on top of that, I have always been in therapy. And another thing, I did actually grow up in a Tony Robbins household where I was exposed to some of the mindset stuff. And I think all of that is, you know, take what you want from it. Like, it's not, I'm not, oh my God. Yeah. It's like, I think some of it's great. And I think other pieces of it are like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't care. And I think a lot of people get really like weird about it because they're like, oh my God, it's a cult. And like, yeah, if you if you worship the man, yeah. <laughs> but if you just like take some of his practices, it's no different than, you know, Mel Robbins or Gabby Bernstein or, you know, all of these other inspirational people and Dean Graziani and and uh, Ed Milet and Joe Dispenza and all these incredible thought leaders in the mindset and mental wellness space. And so I've always kind of enjoyed watching the YouTubes and listening to it. And I, I did a fire walk at a young age to kind of just like get through, uh, you know, people bullying me and whatnot in our, in our, we did it in our backyard, which was fun because my dad and his friends were fire teamers. Uh, and if you, if you aren't familiar, it's like a part of the Tony Robbins conference where you, the first day you walk over fire and it's like, if you walk over fire, then you can confront your deepest fears. <laughs> and, uh, so I did that at like, when I was in second great. I think I did my first one. And uh, I've done quite a few since. I've also done like polar plunges with these maniacs, um, as I like to call them. They're they're great. So I've always been into pushing myself in in a way that allows me to kind of work through it rather than harp on it. I did something completely different, but similar in high school, I tried walking over a campfire and I burnt my foot. So that that was more of an idiotic decision, but that one seems more uh, beneficial, the one you did. Yeah. And when I say walking over fire, it's you're walking over like the embers, basically. They they burn them and then they lay the embers out. It's a, a fire walk. It's a it pretty fun, known thing. Yeah, I think it's a great it's a great thing. Obviously, do it under supervision um yeah. and trained trained uh pract- practitioners of the fire walk, yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily my dad is one though. He's a pro. He's a pro. Yeah. Um, you said you've been going to therapy. How long have you been going to therapy and what are the benefits of going and seeing a therapist? 
Yeah, I've been in therapy since I was in second grade. Um, I've had four or five different therapists over the course of my life. Um, I had one that was a pain psychologist and we worked for a year and a half. And then I kind of realized I was like, I think I need to do more deeper work that's potentially related to pain, potentially not. But, uh, you know, I've always thought it was great to have an unbiased opinion on whatever you're going through and, and just somebody to like call you on your ship, but also to like recognize something like recently I, with this diagnosis, I'm like, again, like dealing with all of this. And my therapist is like, yeah, but this is still like, it's a win, but you're allowed to be sad also. Like you're allowed to feel anger and frustration that this wasn't caught sooner. Um, and that's okay. And, you know, with other, with other things, it's, it's just, it's great. I, I have nothing bad to say except that, it needs to be more accessible and cost uh, effective for, you know, patients because everyone needs therapy, in my opinion. Yep. Not everybody can afford it. And not everybody can even, not only can they not afford it, they can't afford to take the time off to take care of their mental health. And yep. that that is really, really disturbing to me that we live in a society that it's not available to everybody. Even right now I'm working with a specialist and she's not covered by insurance. And it's like every month I'm like, okay, here's the bill versus, you know, get using the person that is on your insurance. Who's maybe not like great, but like they're okay. And it's fine to do that when you can, you do what you can with what you have. But um, I think hopefully like industry pioneers like Mark Cuban, he's starting with pharma. I think he could potentially extend into this mental health and wellness space. That'd be fantastic. And the other side of the coin on that too is like mental health, uh, like providers are pretty slim, like the like caregivers and all that stuff that help with people with mental health. So that's like another one, like the jobs as well. There's like a supply and demand of it all. So, but yeah. I agree with you, I think everyone should at least go to therapy like at least once a year to like just unleash everything that you have because everyone has their shit and they have to get rid of it somehow. And I think someone that doesn't have a dog in the fight is like the perfect, perfect example. Yeah. Um, so you're a model. Congrats on being a finalist with the sports illustrated swim search, by the way, this Thank is you. a typical question. I try not to do typical questions, but what made you get into modeling? So actually, um, misconception about me that I am a model. Um, I am not assigned model. I don't model um outside of doing the swim search. Okay. And uh I mean I've 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 I take a lot of photos and brands send me things and I wear them to a lot of my influencer events. So I guess in that sense, yes, but I uh don't model for a living. I I am a public speaker for a living. And so with my swim search submission, I knew that I wanted to shine a light on people living, women living with invisible health issues and just kind of show up as I was and really take that stance. And, um, you know, if, if they didn't end up choosing me there, it's like, okay, well, they, maybe they're not paying with change or maybe they're not like as, uh, you know, into the diversity that they say they are, but they did. And they included me and, uh, you know, the, the thousands of messages I received just from women around the world was just so incredibly heartwarming. And I really just did it to shine a light on chronic illness. I mean, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I never planned to do that. It was very spontaneous. I almost felt called to do it. Um, in the same way I'm like called to be a public speaker and a patient leader right now. It's, it's really wild. I I was in, in, I love telling this story, but I was in Miami with a friend in 20, in September of 2021. And this friend was like, Oh, so like, what, what's going on with your life? Like, what are you going to do? Like, I'm going to be in sports illustrated next year. He's like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then in December, I was down in Florida again for art Basel and I was with one of my best friends and I, we were co-working, just catching up on things. I'm like, oh shit, the sun's about to set. It's the night before we're leaving. I have to go to the beach and shoot my submission video. So I go to the beach, run like in like three different outfits to wear at the beach. And then, you know, I, I go home and then I work with my team and we come up with a script and we come up with, you know, a sequencing that we think will work. And, uh, and then I, I film that piece. I recite it. I submit it. Um, 
I was down in I was down in Florida when I was editing this also, and Florida pays a key role in this, so just hang tight. Um, then I submitted. I was in New York when I submitted it, but I I just I did, and within minutes I also had shared a post on LinkedIn with my submission video, and I tagged the editor in chief MJ, and she reshared it almost immediately and was like, "This is incredible. You're incredible." Blah blah blah, and I was like, "Holy shit! Like, is this happening? Like, is, did I just uh, like open the the door? Like, what what happened? What what's going on?" And so, um, you know, I, I waited. 14 grueling days. And I'm in Florida again with a different friend. And I get a call and we're stopped at a red light in Brickell. And it's like, hey, Gigi, this is, you know, Sports Illustrated team. We're going to see you in two weeks in the DR. Like, we're so excited to see you. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I just pulled this off and I did it. And the other piece of it is, I have been doing photography since I got my diagnosis at, you know, 11. I literally always have a camera next to me of some sort. And um, I got to shoot with Yusai, who is a world-renowned fashion photographer. And that was one of the most full circle moments for me because I idolized him and looked up to him for so long. And then I was on the other side of the camera with him. And it was just a big holy shit moment for me that like I pulled it off and it was so full circle and it not only like, like fulfilled a childhood dream of meeting Yusai and shooting with Yusai sports illustrated aside, but it opened the door for me to do more bigger, better work for patients, which is like my other calling. So it's just, it's just wild that it happened. Honestly, how do you balance all this? Um, balance, balance what? Everything. Speaking, photography. (laughs) Um, so a good friend of mine, London Lazarson, he's an incredible creator. Basically, I interviewed him on my podcast and I talked about burnout. And he said, the more structure you have, the less burnout you'll have. And the more burnout you'll have if there's less structure. And so I took that and I was like, okay, but what else? And he's like, I'm like, what would be your biggest piece of advice to somebody growing right now? And he said, delegation. And it takes time to get to a point in your business where you can trust someone else and delegate it. But if you can... And if you can let that go, it allows you to do what you do best better. So for me, I have my, you know, multimedia producer set up and edit and and post, uh, not, those are the wrong words. I have my multi, (laughs) I have my multimedia producer shoot my content for me. And then I have my video editor edit it. And then I work with my executive assistant to make sure I'm keeping up on deadlines, invoices, all that stuff. So yeah. I have a team of six and we are just jamming out here and it's it's really exciting. But because I trust them to do the work that I, I need them to do, I'm able to do what I do best and take an hour to record a podcast or do a speaking gig or travel into the city and hang out with my friends even, which is also, we didn't really talk about social life, but that is a big, a big thing as well. Um, And it's really interesting also as an influencer, public, you know, public figure to go to these events and that's your social life, but it's also your work. So it's kind of blended and you're kind of like, I get so confused, but I'm like, my social battery just gets depleted that much more because I'm like, I I can't deal with this energy right now. I'm exhausted by it. <laughs> so back up a little bit. So you don't consider yourself a model? Maybe a role model, but role model, like, but like not like a model model. Not a model model. I mean, really? I, I so I'm like, yeah. It's it's interesting because you went for the sports illustrated thing. So obviously, like you went the the goal of that was to spread awareness for like um for the diseases and all that stuff which was great i think that was a great i watched your um your video the submission video was really good um so like what was the thought process behind it because like there's like a fine line i feel like with modeling it's like cocky versus confidence like where did the confidence come to submit that you were just like i'm gonna crush this thing or were you just super nervous oh no not at all nervous i'm just like that i'm literally just like if I don't do this, then I'm doing myself a disservice. And 
that's how I feel about every opportunity. Like I love a challenge. So I love competitions because you can win them (laughs) and that's fun. And like when I did photography, I would enter so many competitions for my art and I would always win and not always. No, not always, always, win, always win. but I would win quite often Yeah, and people would get mad. Like it was like, they were like, why are you always winning? And I'm like, why not? Why not? Like, yeah. I think life is too short to be insecure and scared about a potential theoretical. Right. And in that way, it's like, you can at the least say, oh, I've tried. And this was my first year submitting. And I know girls submit for five, seven years. Like, you you know, and I, I don't really know what to do with that. Like, I don't feel like I took an opportunity from somebody else because I think that it was the exact campaign, uh, pay with change. It was the right moment in time. And I'm look at what I've done in a year because of it, um, because of the, 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 you know, association, it's gotten me really far. And so, um, I do this thing with, with entering grants, you know, I'm speaking at the USC women's conference. Um, I've submitted applications to do Ted talks and do I get turned down? Yeah. But like, if I don't try, I won't get better. And if I don't get better, then I'm not going to get the opportunity in the future. Um, so I just think honestly, it's like, it's better to try than to not. How can someone build up their confidence? Because you seem like you have a lot of confidence. What What are some tips that you could share with some other people? Yeah. So, I mean, confidence does come from within, but I think you can learn it by, you know, doing things like affirmations. I know um, something I do that, I mean, I have the blur on, but this wall behind me is all mirrors. It's <laughs> mirror cabinets from Ikea. Um, I have one, two, three other mirrors for four extra mirrors on top of this mirrored cabinet in my bedroom. And I honestly like look at myself. I tell myself like I like, you know, you're you're killing it. You're crushing. Um, just like keep doing it. Keep inspiring. Like keep your integrity strong. And I think with confidence, a lot of times, again, people are really just insecure because they're scared of the judgment of other people or the fear that like they're gonna like be judged really by others and when i think you let that go and you're like i don't really care like i only have one life and if i go through it feeling bad and sorry for myself then like what will what will the point have been Like you would be so much happier. Like I'm always so much happier when I can go with a friend and if I'm not feeling well and I have an honest conversation about sometimes like, yeah, like I don't like how my body looks and that's okay. Like you go through different seasons of, of life and your body changes as you grow and get older. I mean, I've gone from like being really thin because of the medication I was on and my eating habits were very neglectful uh, to myself. And I was really mean to myself yeah. because I, I call it the LA effect. You know, I was in LA, wanted to, to be thin and be blonde and whatever. And then I came back to New York and I was like, whatever. And I gained some weight during like, COVID. Like and New like, York in the house. <laughs> New York in the house. I'm back to a, being my natural brunette color. Yep. <laughs> I'm back. The bitch is back. He's, um, he's sad. <laughs> and, and yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I got bullied growing up by like a lot of these girls and, uh, you know, Upper East Side brats and just like, oh, if you don't have the right iPhone, if you don't have the right Blackberry, if you don't have the right long chant bag or coach bag or like Hermes fucking bracelet at like 13, then you're not cool. And I mean, that's like ridiculous, but just to like feel like that and have these health issues on top, it made me feel so gross growing up. And by the time I think I got to college is where I really developed this confidence. It took years again, but in high school, I, I wasn't always like this, but I was like, yeah, let me shoot my shot. Like, why not? Um, my freshman year of college, I was at FIT and I sent an email out. One of my teachers said, like for homework, you have to do an informational interview with somebody who you would die to work for, like an industry leader in New York. And so I emailed Peter Hurley Studios and he is one of the top headshot photographers in the world. And he's incredible. So, so freaking cool. 
And he said yes to the meeting. And we're going through the, the thing. And what I had done was I had prepared beforehand. I had researched him. I looked up questions that I couldn't find on the internet. And he said, you know what? Nobody does that. Everyone wants the same twofold answer that I give in every interview. And because of that, I think you'd make a great assistant. Would you want to intern as an assistant for me for the rest of the semester? And I'm like, hell yeah. And had I not sent that email, and mind you, I sent 10 others. I don't think I got responses. And it just happened to work. When I was at USC, I just kind of like kept going with that mentality. And I was also like, I don't know anyone in Los Angeles. Like, I'm just going to be the fucking person that I feel like being. Like, I don't need to like do anything a certain way besides dye my hair and like (laughs) not eat. Uh, But personality wise, I could, you know, do whatever I wanted and grow in my skills and my, my work. And as I did that, I developed such a confidence there that it made dealing with social situations like easier for me because I was doing it with strangers anyway, um, professionally. And I was like, oh, I guess I could do this like with friends and whatnot. And then uh, since just coming back from COVID and really stepping into the role of a, a public figure and an advocate, I just think um, there's there's a lot riding on it in a lot of ways. Like I, I want to say the right things and I want to do the right thing always. And so hyping myself up in the mirror, high-fiving myself. That's a Mel Robbins thing. You know, never leave a bathroom without high-fiving yourself. And when you do that, it literally tricks your brain into thinking you've accomplished something. Like, because when you get, when you high-five someone, it's like, hell yeah, like you did it. And it really is helpful. I can't explain it. She explains it well. I think the high-five habits, her book, she explains it. I'm such a fan of her. I'm like, I aspire to be her in 20 years. Um, be like her, but me. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of like how I've developed it. But it's also like, I don't feel good when I don't like have confidence. It doesn't feel good. It feels icky. Like, I love feeling confident because when you're open, it's like an openness. You're able to like receive other people's energy. Wow. And you're able to kind of like enjoy the moment and not worry about what you're insecure about or what like how you look in a dress like nobody can see your underwear line like it's not a big deal you know like (laughs) nobody's that you know observant uh and not as self-critical as you might be so when you let that go a lot can change you touched on it briefly let's talk about body image real quick you're an advocate for body image to promote body positivity why is that so important I mean, I think I just explained a lot of my journey, uh, but, you know, dealing with health issues on top of that, where I was literally not allowed to like work out. um, And I, every time I would push myself, I would get hurt and I would end up at the doctor and I would have to like do this annoying cycle, like of, okay, you've done something. Now you have to go back and go to physical therapy and then you have to start at square one again. And then also like, just like not being able to play in gym class even was like, oh, well, then you you can't be active. And I mean, I've even had guys say to me like, oh, like, I really want like a fit girl, like a workout buddy, whatever. And I'm like, ew, like that is like such gross behavior Um, to even comment on a woman's body is is really gross. And so, you know, after having that said to me, I was like, holy shit, like, if I'm dealing with this, I'm sure other women are dealing with this. Oh my God. There's a bald Eagle flying by my window. That's Holy awesome. Crap. Take a yeah. photo. Take a photo of it. We'll take a quick break. But the, um, I have to see if it comes out on this side. There's a building that blocks the view a little, but I live on the Hudson river. So it, yeah, there it is. Wow. Wow. Incredible. Let's go. That's, <laughs> That's a America sign. right there. That's a good sign. Um, so so yeah, I just I I knew if other if I was dealing with this, other women were. And then the whole LA effect, as I mentioned, just like dealing with that. And then uh, you know, recently getting in Sports Illustrated, I don't retouch. I've never retouched my photos. Um, you know, I I never want to appear as someone that I'm not. And I think with social media, especially having studied this in my master's, it's just like, it can miss, it can really affect our mental health and our perception of our self-worth and our self-image. And 
as I continue to grow and learn and become, you know, better at explaining what I learned in my master's online, I think it, it becomes really clear that the technology is really affecting a lot of our self-worth and how we view ourselves. And I just want to help women and all people feel more confident. And that's why I'm an advocate to just show up as you are, as I did. I mean, during the interview I did with the U.S. Sun, they the reporter was like, Gigi, so what did you do to prepare? Like, you didn't work out or anything? And I was like, no, nope, I showed up as I am. And part of that is like, literally because people with health issues don't have the mental space to work out sometimes. They just don't. And so in in our society in America where we badger people for being not good enough or not looking enough and they're dealing with health issues and they literally can't work out, it's like so disgusting, but we really have to look at the healthcare industry as a whole to kind of combat this whole issue. I do see this too. Like a lot of assholes will... I think the negativity I hear is like plus size models. And do you ever hear about stuff like that? Personally or no, just in, like in the industry? Yeah. Like yeah. In the I mean, industry. I mean, there's trolls everywhere. I, I've been, um, you know, I have an international fan base and some of the people uh, that are over in like India and Asia are like, oh, you're so chubby. I like, I like that you're chubby. And in America, that's like, you would never say that to a woman. Like you, right. you that's like a very weird thing to say. Um, and, you know, I, I was having a conversation with one of my friends and, you know, some, some guy had said to her, I really like that you're not skinny. And it's like, it's a backhanded compliment because it's not saying that they don't like your, they don't, like they don't like they don't not like your body they like your body but your body isn't skinny and as a woman in america in our world beauty standards like hold skinny at the top of the yep. list of if you are skinny you're beautiful right you're oh she's tall blonde and skinny oh yeah this like skinny the, of course she of course she has the man of her dreams she's so tiny and so i think really dismantling like the words uh and how we talk about our bodies is important but a lot of men need to be re-educated and honestly it's like a lot of times men that are dads or like uncles or brothers who like have a beer belly that are commenting on larger women and it's it's disturbing it's like um sir here's a mirror take a look at yourself thank you very much exactly and I mean, I think another thing to notice is like a lot of uh, the the tides are changing in the modeling industry, whereas before there were categories of plus size, curve and fit models. Now um, it's just models and a brand can choose who they want uh, that way. That way it's not categorized. And I think that that's amazing. Like I would I would fall under the size of curve model probably, but uh, I don't really think it's important to classify because unless the model wants to themselves, because it really is a self-classification thing. Like you can be curvy and be a model. You don't need to be a curve model. You can be a size like double XL and be a plus size model, but you're a model, you know? Like I think, I think society just gets, likes to get mad and get in other people's business because industry's changing and i think it's incredible that the industry's changing because there's so much more representation than there was when i was growing up and i mean i grew up watching the victoria's secret fashion show being like i need to be skinny like like those models right and, and so, that is so fucked it is fine <laughs> and the reason i was smiling is because like i have those notes i'm like why is it just like just not models because like there's all different shapes and sizes like even like disability uh, models it's like everyone's just a model it's like like these are real life people so why are we yeah. just picking the skinny people and pretending that other people don't exist like especially with clothing it's like oh here's some skinny clothing but it's like what about the plus size people yeah and yeah. I, I agree with the talking about body uh, body types with people, like comment on people's weight, um, especially with women. Like, I feel like that's just like something you do. Like, you don't ask a woman's age and you don't comment on on their on their body. Jonah Hill had something great, too, because like he's someone that fluctuated his weight up and down. And he's like, stop 
fucking commenting on it, being like, oh, you look good. It's like, oh, you used to be fat. It's like, hey, how about you just talk to me like a normal human being? Literally, literally. Like, and like I opened this podcast with, I, since my surgery, have lost like probably close to 20 pounds. And I've gotten DMs being like, I've noticed like your, your face looks different. Like, did you get worked on? Did you, you know, go get cool sculpting? Like what happened? And I'm literally like, my body has been through it the past fucking 12 years of my life. Um, please, God forbid my body changes and I get a little bit, I I feel better. Right. Um, and I think that it's really cool that now I'm in this era where I can heal and maybe I can start working out and I can really feel the benefits of the endorphins that people get when they go on runs or do like a Pilates class. Like I was never able to feel that before because I was in too much pain to even do the workout in the first place. And like that's so sad, but I think it's really incredible that I'm at a place where I can experiment with that. And I think sometimes people comment and they're a little bit like maybe jealous, maybe like not like they're like, oh, well, you're a patient advocate. It's like, yeah, I can still be an advocate. You can't take away 12 years of experience that right. I've had um, in this. I've done my 10,000 hours. I've done well over that. <laughs> Look good, feel good. That's what it's all about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, no, feel good, look good. That's what it is. You got to feel good better. That's right. Yeah. I, I I did that reverse. I was uh, dyslexic on that one. Um, so back up to like the whole like you getting on Sports Illustrated. I think it's funny. You don't consider yourself a model. Obviously, you have like all these great titles to you. But like, did it feel good just going in there and being like, yeah, I'm I'm going up with the best of the best, and this is my first time going into it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's such absolutely. A good I mean, it's 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 one of these things where it's just like, I I used to want to like shoot as you size assistant, and I'm on the other side of the camera. Like what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is my life that this is the case? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just get to like inspire and help people through that message. So it it was great, and you know. The, the team was really awesome. And I think it was an incredible experience. And obviously, again, like I said, what ensued after where the press just went bananas and was like, this girl has a mission and it's incredible was, I mean, amazing. New York Post, Glamour, Allure, um, Fox News multiple times, like Business Insider, so on and so forth. And I'm just like, holy shit, like, like the word is getting out. I'm, yeah. I'm doing it. I've arrived. I've arrived. Goal. And and now I'm in this place where I'm kind of like, how can I continue to leverage that to just like keep keep it up? So you were in a, you were a finalist, but you actually won. If you think about it, I won in my own way. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, absolutely. You, I didn't. Still winning. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It. I. 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 It's. A, it's a sore spot. But yes, I. I think I won, and it did its purpose for me. And. Yeah. I, regardless of, you know, would I have loved to see more body diversity happen? Yes, absolutely. Would I have loved to see like a person of color win? Yes, absolutely. But I can't change what, what that's not my, that's not my jurisdiction. I have a lot of respect for the, the girls in the team. And I know that they chose the person for some reason. And, uh, that's that's great and i genuinely feel like uh what it's given me over the past year has been more than i could ever ask for well you're a winner to me so that's all that matters (laughs) um how much better of a life do you live that you don't booze because i i think people that don't drink are elite yeah um so i gave up alcohol when i came home from covid i was you know 21 turning 22 uh and i was just like eh yeah. Not really vibing here. Like, I think I was like during the first cup, you know, I was in college. I went to USC as party school. Yeah. Like, um, I, I wasn't the biggest drinker, but I mean, well, at times I wasn't the biggest drinker, but game day, game day was definitely a fun time always. Yeah. And I, I just always would feel so awful, like so awful. And during COVID, I would have like a glass here, a glass there. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm like liking how I'm feeling. And I was just like, eh, let me just like give this up. So I gave it up like when in like on my 22nd birthday, which was May 2020. But 
I like officially declared it in January, 2021. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I haven't had alcohol since. And I just think it has given me the ability to have more clarity yeah. at any given moment, right? It's kind of like a control thing. Like I have the most control over my mind and my body when I'm, you know, not under the influence. And if I'm out with friends and they're drinking, that's fine. But I want to be able to remember and like have good moments with my friends. And I don't need booze to like make time with my good friends fun. Um, what I do need is like connection and conversation. And when you drink, sometimes you get sloppy and you say stupid shit that you don't yep. mean. And yep. You know, it it does happen like that sometimes. And uh, I just, I it's not something I even crave at all. It's been two and a half years for me. And uh, I I remember I had made it to my birthday, my, my, my 23rd birthday, I think, in 2021. And one of my friends was like, come on. Like, we were at this, like, vegan Mexican restaurant. And she's like, oh, yeah like, come on, like shots, like shots for everyone. Let's I'll buy shots. And I'm like, I'm literally not doing shots. Like it's not happening. She's like, Oh, come on. Like whatever. And I'm like, it's literally been like five months since I've like officially declared right. not drinking. Like I've made it five months. I might as well make it to six. And if I don't want to drink, if I want to drink after six months, then whatever. And like, I did it for no other reason than my health, you know, like everyone's always like, Oh, do you have a problem? Like, where are you like an alcoholic? I'm like, no, like, I just like genuinely don't care for it. And the most annoying part of it is that everyone is so fucking nosy about yeah, why. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. like, they're like, what are you drinking? I'm like, why do you care what I'm drinking? That's such a weird question to ask. Like, are you gonna roofie me? Like, what 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 why do you care? Yeah. Um, people are like, oh, you're so defensive. And I'm like, dude, like you're the one asking me what I'm drinking. Yeah. Like, so weird. Um, so I basically just kind of uh you know, I, I just, I'm like, oh yeah, tequila soda. If it's like a club soda with lime, I'm just, I'd rather say that and have somebody leave me alone than <laughs> like explain, oh yeah, like I, I don't drink because of my health and blah, blah, blah. Like it's such a thing. But I will say living in New York city, there's been a lot of sober uh, bars popping up, a lot of sober curious things. A lot of bars carry actual, uh, you know, mocktail, uh, 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 spirits and things like that. And, um, I think that's fantastic that they're holding a space for people that don't want to drink anymore. Yeah. I think it's very weird that when people ask about like, why aren't you drinking? It's like, Oh, what are you pregnant? They just like start assuming shit. You're like, literally no, I just don't want to drink right now. Yeah. It's really bizarre. And I think as a young person, it's also been a really hot subject. It's like you're 24. Like these are the best years of your life. You should be going out clubbing at night. And I honestly like to be in bed at 8.30 and asleep by nine o'clock. And I wake up at like five, six in the morning. So uh, we have completely opposite sleep schedules, but I really am not like a nightlife girl. I don't really enjoy it or like it. I'd rather do fun daytime activities like go for a hike or like go outside so yeah you already lived a lifetime of like events in your in your life it's like you're doing exactly i wish i could go back in time i'm 37 and i was drinking through my 20s so it's like i would love to go back and just do what you do oh uh, thank you <laughs> um so you you're kind of a low-key author and i think you might have some projects coming up but you had a book that uh is like a rarity almost because it's a dis discourse between myself and the waiting room what's going on with that and do you have any books coming out yeah, so I'll start with the discourse between myself and the waiting room, which was really a photo essay that I did when I was in college to kind of round out my collegiate experience dealing with ableism in academia. And I just decided that I needed to document my life as a patient and just take viewers through the experience of like noticing the like white paneled tiles on the top of the ceiling in the hospital. That's something everyone can see when I say that yeah. um, in their, in their mind, or they can, they can, you know, hear the ringing of the fluorescent lights that are in, in the rooms. Like maybe they've seen the mess that a doctor has left, like all of their papers in their office when they go to check out. 
Um, and so I just kind of, I did that and I published it. It's on blurb and issue.com, but, uh, this year I'm hopefully revamping that. So look out for that. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to have a couple of book projects that I'm going to be a part of and also launch. So I'm really excited about that. I'm writing a book about chronic illness for kids, and I'm really, really excited to shed light on that, not only for, uh, you know, kids to read and understand that it's okay uh, to live with these invisible health issues, but also for the parents and the caregivers to get a lens on maybe how their child might be feeling uh, so that when my uh, my novel comes out, then they'll be mm-hmm. like, oh, we already trust this girl. She wrote a great children's book. So uh, there's that. And then I'm also a contributor in another children's book series that I can't talk about yet. Oh, so you're like, you're like two steps ahead of where you're at right now. You're like, I'm going to come out with this book, but my second book, they're going to love my first one. So they're going to buy that second one and third one. Oh yeah. Business plan for life. Yeah. I need to get on your business plan. I need to be, I need to be the seventh person of your team. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you're very much into Gen Z's mental health. Obviously you're an advocate for all mental health, but any specific reason you focus on Gen Z, especially like with your podcast? I'm a Gen Zer myself, an elder, if you will. I know there's jokes about like the term elder millennial, but I would say I'm an elder Gen Z. I'm, you know, right at the, at the cusp. Um, So I want to, just be a role model for any of those kids. And I also have like a close enough touch on them. Like we're close enough in age where like they could ask me questions and it could, you know, really reflect, um, I think like where they're at and it could be inspirational to like help them get on track. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely really just, it's a passion of mine to just talk to my peers and talk to other creators who are dealing with these mental health issues. And, um, I think mental health has been such a buzz lately. And I think it's really interesting to like hear, like, not that the bigger creators don't deal with mental health and pressure. Of course they do, but I think it's, you know, it's, you don't get to have as intimate of a conversation with them as you might with creators under a million. And I think that it's just really important for the majority of Gen Z who aspires to be influencers to realize the repercussions of this career because it's hard. And I'm on my phone all the time. I actually recently started doing do not disturb. Like I just like leave my phone on do not disturb now. And it's been like life-changing. It's awesome. I've, I was like shocked. Like I've been doing it the past month and I'm like, whoa, yep. now I get it. Now I get why all my friends have their phone on do not disturb. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, everything's good, but that's kind of why. And also, I mean, in terms of gaining perspective for older generations, they're able to listen to somebody who's literally, you know, maybe more, more articulate and has a little bit more of an education and understanding why the technology is hurting Gen Z and has a lived experience as well to kind of like talk to marketers and product leaders at, you know, Instagram, Meta, YouTube, blah, blah, about all this stuff um, and really captivate the older audience to like do better and hold our hand instead of saying, oh, you're snowflakes, you're so sensitive. It's like, well, we might be like this for a reason. Why don't you like listen up and help us? Like it's really, it's really weird to me. And it's also really weird to me that people think that we're all just like kids, like half of Gen Z is over 20. Like, yeah, it's like, stop being mean, stop being a bully. I'm an elder millennial. I'm in that that bracket. Um, Let's switch over to the podcast real quick. Everything you need is within, Uh, where can people find it? What's it about? What, what, what can they expect? Yeah, you can find it on any streaming platform. Um, I prefer Spotify, but I know Same. a lot of people like Apple Music. So you do you, girls. Uh, <laughs> Go I think off. It's, it's, yeah, I think it's on like all, it's on all of them. You could listen to it anywhere. And it's also on my website. You can find the links to it there. Uh, but it's, it's about creator mental health, really, and empowering, you know, hearing the empowering stories of creators and of, uh, you know, different Gen Z thought leaders, really. Maybe they're like, an, I interviewed this one incredible journalist at, you know, Teen Vogue and hearing her claim to fame and how she became an editor at Teen Vogue at 22. And, uh, you know, just hearing her story as, as a Gen Z writer is really great. And then also talking about mental health and other different things and elevating different marginalized communities that, uh, you know, really need to be 
elevated and talked about as I think, honestly, as a white woman, it's my responsibility and my privilege to share my platform with other people. And I do that uh, a lot all the time with this podcast and, you know, in the collaborations I do and so on and so forth. And so I just make sure that I'm aware of that and also doing my best to like serve my community, which is extremely diverse and, um, just elevate positivity and empowerment in whatever way possible. Girl, you are relentless with what you got going on. How do you, do you sleep well? So I have the aura ring and it's like a Fitbit, but it tracks your sleep. And it usually calls me out for bad sleep because honestly, up until January, up until December 16th, when I officially graduated my master's, Congrats. I still had to thank you. I had to like stay up and do my classes because they were remote um, Pacific time class. So it was very late. Like I would be up till midnight and then I would wake up in the next morning at like 8 a.m. and just like start my day. And it literally just like wasn't enough sleep for me because I would my brain would be like on on, you know. And so I, uh, you know, since my surgery, since that, I've literally just been taking care of myself, going to sleep at like 8, 8.30 and waking up around 6. And I feel amazing. So I think, honestly, uh, as I, you know, embark into my author era, I am really, uh, you know, taking a step back from some of the events that I'm going to and just kind of like really doing what feels good for me and not what I think looks good uh, because my audience, my audience is there regardless. Fantastic. All right, let's wrap up a little bit, ask you a couple more questions. What does a self-care day look like for Gigi Robinson? Mm, Self-care. So this is a great example. I did this yesterday. I woke up super early, journaled for like 30 minutes, uh, did some breath work, got ready, went and did my acupuncture. Uh, talked to some friends and a friend of mine was like, what's your intention for the day? And I was like, you know what? My intention is to be proud of myself for taking care of my physical body, um, my, and my health for the connections that I'm making in the industry and the meetings that I get to have and for the friends and the relationships that I get to build. And so I set that intention And then I went on um, to do some work remotely by myself. I got myself a nice vegan burger. I went to a vegan cafe, nurtured my my health. I got some matcha. And then uh, I met up with a friend and we went and got facials. And uh, I was able to treat my friend to that because of a partnership that I have. And it's just like really fun to do that. And then uh, ate some salad nurtured that health moment and then came home and was sleeping by 9 30. So, you know, did, did a little more journaling. I actually wrote a letter to myself, uh, from about love. (laughs) And, um, then I fell asleep and woke up early and that's that. So that was a great self-care day for me. Love it. Absolutely love it. You kind of talked about this earlier. Like, obviously, you have fans. You have a pretty big following. Do you have any, like, weird or funny fan interactions? Because I feel like anyone with fans, there's a lot of weirdos out there. And I always love to hear about them. Yeah. As I mentioned, I have an international fan base of a lot of people in India and Asia. And Mm -hmm. I, I love them. They give me great engagement. Uh, but I do get a lot of marriage proposals in my DMs and, and swipe up some of my stories uh, as being like, hey, can you marry me? And I'm like, you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, calm down. Yeah. Um, so kind of weird, uh, but they're very supportive, those people. So I just let them do what they're going to do. I don't really respond. Yeah, right. Now, to back up a little bit, I forgot to ask this. When uh, someone's working on themselves, is it is it better to do it on their own to learn? Is it better to have a support system or a little bit of both? Wow, that's a great question. I would say a little bit of both. I mean, I think there's a lot of benefit in doing the self-work, like journaling and finding the practices that work for you. But for me, I needed to work with a breathwork coach to teach me how to breathe. You know, I needed to experience infrared sauna before buying my sauna blanket to kind of like feel what it's like to detox. Um, I needed to kind of like talk with a friend on the phone who's, uh, you know, she she runs like women's circles to uh, figure out like 
how journaling can really be effective for me and how I can do it in a way that's intentional and helps me release whatever I need to release in the moment and use it as a tool. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think it's also just really important to like, if you can have a therapist to do the inner working, you can't really do that without it. There's a lot of self-help podcasts. I mean, uh, there's so much information out there also. And when you're struggling, I think it can be really hard to like figure out where to go. But my advice would be to just like start, right? Like if you're listening and you're struggling and like you need help starting, Mel Robbins would be my go-to person that I would recommend. She's inspirational. She's warm. Hey, it's your friend Mel. Like very, like very friendly with how she introduces things, but she's not going to let you get away with shit. And that's what I like about her. So if you're in a funk, she's been in funks too. And she talks so openly about that. And that's what I think is so successful and beautiful about how she is able to kind of like flip the script for people. And so if I could do that for younger people, that's what I'm happy to do. But I think you could start with that, start with her, see the people that are interviewing her right? She, she went on Jay Shetty. She's gone on Lewis Holmes. Like, like she's done like all of these other podcasts. Go, go to Ed Milet, go to Joe Dispenza, like listen, like go, go, go listen to some podcasts, right? Like a lot of time, I think people seem like, oh, it's helpless. Like I'm in such a funk. I don't have any resources. It's like, that's just not true. Um, and this is stuff that's not even including your friends. Like I realized in the past month, you know, it's better to always communicate. Like if you're, if something's up and something bothered you, it's better to always say it than to not. Um, If you have a standard that you, you know, have for friendships and, you know, I'm wary of that because a lot of people come to me and they're like, Hey, like, do you have a contact at blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Ugh, like I thought we were friends. Like yeah, and, yeah. and for my, for my true friends, I'm like, Hey, let me make the intro. Absolutely. I, I have no shame in that. I don't, it's not about like a possessive thing. It's more of like, you're only hitting me up to talk about m- things that you can get from me, not how I'm doing. Yeah. And so I have standards. I have standards with like dating and just being able to be like, yeah, like I'm, you know, I want to like, just do things my way and have somebody be like, yeah, it's like very rare for that to happen. And so just ha- make sure your your inner circle is keyed in and you're communicating with them when you're struggling. Of course, of course. Um, I know you're a fan. How many plants do you have? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I'm looking around. I have four in my bedroom, okay. but I did relocate quite a few of them to the living room during COVID because we, we moved apartments. And so when we moved apartments, it like the room, my, I didn't have space in my new room. Like it was a different dimension. Uh, my room now is more square versus my room before was more rectangular. So there was like more space in the other one. And yeah, so there's, there's a lot out there. I can't give you an exact answer, but I'm going to ballpark 40 wow. in the house. Yeah. We love plants in this house. I have one and I've been treating it, <laughs> I, I've been treating it very well. Do you own a Venus uh, flytrap? Um, I don't get one, get okay. one. It's legit. I, I can barely keep myself alive. I keep that thing. Perfect. Wow. I'll, wow. I'll, I'll, I'm going to email you a photo of it and you're going to be very surprised about the way it looks. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's insane. Um, any modeling in the future for you or no, are you done? You're going to hang it up. Um, I mean, if I get signed to a modeling agency, that's great. Like I would, I would be down, but like, I'm not modeling isn't my end all be all like I'm a public speaker and I don't if I can model in a campaign as Gigi Robinson that's what I'll say yes to if I'm modeling just to model like that's not worth it to me right that's pretty cool um what does Gigi Robinson have planned for 2023 besides your books yeah the books um we're speaking lots of traveling uh maybe a fun product launch that will come out probably in a couple of months and a bunch of fun partnerships. So yeah, just, just out here doing the, doing the damn thing. Fantastic. Where can everyone find you on the internets? Yeah, you could Google me. My name's very Googleable, which is lucky. Uh, You can go to my website, ggrobinson.com or uh, my handles everywhere are at it's ggrobinson. So like at sign the word it's and then my name. 
Perfect. Easy to find you. I end yeah. I end my conversations with both of these two questions. What is Gigi Robinson's theme song? Think of like you're like a professional boxer. You come out to an arena, a theme song plays. What is it? Um, well, <laughs> professional boxer and me, I don't know if that would go together, but um I really love the song Patience by Guns N' Roses. And the reason is because I think you have to be patient with the things that you want. And um, if you are and you do the work, you can prepare and you'll get the opportunity. And that's where like luck happens. And, um, you know, I just think patience is the, the the biggest thing that you can teach yourself is how to like love things and love doing things without getting them instantly. And that's why patience. And also because some of my fondest memories growing up are like, just like hearing that song on the radio um, in our patio at our second ho- um, home and just like dancing with my dad to 104.3 in New York uh, is like the classic rock station. And it just kind of like warms my heart. I feel like it might be like my father daughter dance song one day when I'm getting married in my wedding adorable <laughs> adorable and you're per- like a proverbial box you go out and just knock the shit out of everything that you do i try see it correlates it correlates um what are three things that you're grateful for today today i'm grateful that the sky is blue i'm grateful that i have these luxurious uh diptyque candles burning that i treated myself to which are so scrumptious uh the base flavor is just it's chef's kiss it smells so good and uh i am just grateful that i'm feeling so much better than i have in the past and it's helping me be a better person that's fantastic Gigi robinson i thank you so much for coming on if you ever come up to boston let me know we can do lunch but i thank you so much i wish you nothing but the best uh moving forward with everything that you do yeah thank you so much i appreciate it No problem. That's another episode of 2010 Minutes. Let's break the stigma by cracking a smile. I will see you soon. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.